Hi and welcome to the We Need a Rose podcast and David, the justice system works swiftly in the future now that they've abolished all lawyers. Have you ever needed a lawyer? Have I? Uh, no. Yes. No. Yeah. No. Wait. No. Oh, wait. I, you know what? I've never understood the difference between a lawyer and a solicitor. Are they, are they the same? Are they, are they similar? I'm not, I'm, you know what? I'm not smart enough to know these things. I'm not very good at adulting them. Do you know who is smart enough and will probably give you the answer to this? David is Jennifer Walters, which means you've got what she hoped to find out the difference. Do you, do you know the difference? I don't know. The difference. Having a Scooby, if you are a solicitor or a lawyer and you listen to the We Need Reloads podcast, please drop us a message on our Twitter and let us know the difference I'm gonna between Google your two it. great professions. <laughs> you don't need to Google it because once again we have a packed episode where we're going to take a quick look at Marvel's Secret Invasion trailer. I'm going to review the new period murder mystery, see how they run, with Sam Rockwell and. A solicitor is a type of lawyer. Oh, well, there you go. Excellent. See, um, so I have. I had to do, yep, to get the house. And what about the bodies buried in the backyard? Did you move the bodies? Well, I've not been caught yet, so... Brilliant. Okay, good to know. Although I think, after a midst into it on a podcast, you may very well need a lawyer. No, it's under concrete. It's all good. And I'm going to review the new period murder mystery film, See How They Run, with Sam Rockwell and Shersha Ronan. In our spoiler section... Our massive spoiler section, we're going to be catching up with the next three episodes of House of the Dragon, taking us up to the end of episode four as we record this. And finally, David, you get to yell, what? No mercy! Although they don't actually say that much in the news. Yep, David gets to yell, no mercy, as we try and qualify for the All-Valley as we review Cobra Kai season five. Do you think you'd be able to qualify for the All-Valley, David? No, man, I'll be shit. My brother's the my brother's the karate man in the household. I well in in the family, not for me, bro. I he he's my brother's like a second dan, I think black belt. He's quite, I think, relatively high up in some form of karate. Well, we actually have a little link to karate on the pod. Uh, our f- stunning theme music, which was recorded by a good friend of the pod, Ben Davis. Uh, my friend Ben, he actually is. Well, I think he's got, he's like the highest you can get in karate, and now he teaches it as well, as well as being a, a tour manager for lots of really famous bands. So, uh, yeah, there we go. So, if you don't like the music to our show, just remember that guy who made it can beat you up with karate. Ah! Right, so first up, uh, Secret Invasion. Now, fresh from D23, to be honest, D23 was actually fairly quiet in terms of actual news and confirmations this time. But what we did get was a trailer for next year's Secret Invasion TV series. That looked actually very good and also very unsuperhero-y. Now, for those of you unfamiliar with Secret Invasion, it's going to be the show that lays the groundwork for the Avengers Secret Wars movie down the line. And in short, the idea behind both is that shape-shifting aliens called Skrulls, who we've met in Captain Marvel have fully infiltrated human society, meaning that anyone, any regular Joe or superhero, could be an enemy agent in disguise. Now, obviously in the comics this was used for loads of massive twists and reveals, but I think the TV show is going to have to take somewhat of a different tack with the path they take to get to Secret Wars, because some of the characters, well, spoiler for Infinity War and Endgame, some characters like Tony Stark's Iron Man are dead in the MCU, and others, like the Fantastic Four and the Thunderbolts, haven't actually been introduced yet. And I'm pretty sure they're not going to debut either of those two. I think, think most of the individual Thunderbolts have been introduced, haven't they? Just, just not as a collective. Not as a collective, yeah, but they are a collective. Well, in the comics book, if I remember rightly, their boss is actually Norman Osborn. So, again, with the rights with Sony and Spider-Man, I'm not quite sure that's going to thing. But, again, I don't think they're going to debut the Fantastic Four and the Thunderbolts as a group 
in a Disney Plus show. I think it's going to be quite a, you know, like a nice slow build-up to the reveal being that Scrolls have taken over. I, they have to do the reveal where one of the big superheroes that we know from the film is actually a Skrull. That has to be it. Um, I think it was... Yeah, but how would that work, though? Like, would, would, would the superheroes still have had the same powers? Like, like so for instance, if we find out that... I'm trying to think of somebody that has powers, like like Bruce Banner. Yeah. Can the Hulk also be a scroll? Yeah, yeah. Anyone, anyone can be a scroll. Okay, so so how would the how would they how would the scroll have Hulk powers? Basically, think Battlestar Galactica in that anyone could be a scroll, you know, or anyone could be a Cylon, and they might not even know it themselves. There's a bit early on in the comics where this scroll baddie girl is trying to convince Tony Stark that he's actually a double agent. And he doesn't realize, and he's like, "No, I'm no, I'm not." But then he seems to start freaking out about it. So it really looks like Secret Invasion is going to be much more of an agents on the ground spy thriller where you really can't trust anyone. Now, like we, like, like I mentioned, of course the scrolls were introduced in Captain Marvel, but they done a twist with us because in Captain Marvel they're actually not the baddies; they're an intergalactic group of refugees fleeing the Kree, and of course they were led by Ben Mendelsohn's excellent Talos. Last time we saw Nick Fury, he was on a massive space station at the end of Spider-Man Far From Home. And, of course, we had the revelation then, throughout the film, uh, Nick Fury and Maria Hill were actually being impersonated by Talos and his uh, other half, Soren, under orders by the real Fury while he was off on another mission, which I'm guessing is going to be this show. We hear a voiceover from Hill reprimanding Fury for not answering the phone for years and accusing him of avoiding Earth and asks, what's different this time? And then we see Fury, David, and we see him with no eye patch. Dun, dun, dun. Did you pick up on that? Did, or was he like just enjoying the trailer? He's like, wait a minute, he's got an eye patch. To be honest, I, I didn't really notice. I think I was just enjoying the... T- he's got, isn't it like scratched out? Doesn't he have scars down his eye? Yeah, because of Goose. It's Goose. Yeah. And it's like, but is, is that... Yeah, but... No, he has both eyes in, the, in his first Did he ever lose his other eye? Like, was it just an empty socket? I don't know specifically. So, I mean, it's one of two things, right? It's either this one, this version of Fury we see early on is a scroll, or where he's been hanging out with the good scrolls and Talos and that, they've actually got the technology to repair his eye, maybe. So it's going to be one or the other, isn't it? It can't be much more than that. Yeah, I was like, oh, wait a minute. this he's got, he's got an eye back. So the opposite of four who lost an eye and then just stuck a glass one in and apparently that worked fine, which I don't think was that great an idea to be fair we then switch to political intrigue as fury asks james rhodes war machine played by don Cheadle, how well he knows his security detail and we also get a brief glimpse of martin freeman's everett ross uh, returning in a brief clip we have a quick scene where talos warns fury they have to be careful now right as we see what looked like another group of skulls surrounding talos yeah so wait 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 wait. that bloke who is that talos did you say his name is talos uh, ben mendelson's character yes who is I, I can't, I re- both, I recognise him and I remember him, but I, at the same time, I don't remember anything about him and what he was previously. In, he's in Captain Marvel as what we think is a bad guy and you think Jude Lord's a good guy and like the career of the good guys in there because we all know from the comics that the scrolls were the bad guys and then they do the twist in Captain Marvel that actually, no, the Kree's, these, and what, well, they, they kind of make it a bit more shades of grey that there's some good Kree, there's some bad Kree, there's some good scrolls, there's some bad scrolls. And it looks like what they're going to do with this show is you're going to have different factions of scrolls fighting. So you're going to have your good scrolls led by Talos and obviously Nick Fury and that fighting alongside him against the bad scrolls. And if you notice, did you notice who the bad scroll was who looked to be uh, the, bad, the main baddie? I did not. It was only Kingsley Benadare playing Rebel Scroll leader Gravik. 
So again, this well, and also I looked at that up on that was up on the IMDb. So it says Rebel Scroll Leader. So I guess okay, that you know that gives us the thing that we've got that. Also, we've got um, Olivia Coleman in it. You know, yes. Oscar-winning Olivia Coleman just turning up in the MCU for a fat stack of dollars as some kind of doctor. She's a scroll. She's got scroll written all over her. Well, remember we joked because it said in the in the original information about the show she was an old friend of Fury's and was like bum chicka wow wow. We did wonder at the time when all the announcements for the show were made whether her character and Fury's had a relationship in the past because you know Nick Fury's been single a long time. He needs to get some loving. And of course, we then got a brief shot of. Mother of Dragons, Destroyer of Franchises, Amelia Clark running well, around with a gun. This is, I've got fucking hope she's good in it. I really, I, for, for, for her sake, for the MCU's <laughs> sake, for the show's sake, just for just for everyone, just for the sake of everyone, I hope she's good in yeah. it. Yeah, she worked well in an ensemble writing Game of Thrones, so she's, she's not the lead in this. She hasn't got the pressure of leading the show, so hopefully, yeah, like you say, I'm, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not that we're like being mean. It's just like she's not been what, very what good in a lot of things. In Game of Thrones, aren't now in some sort of Marvel project? Not many. I mean, that's the, that's the funny thing, right? I'd love it if you get the crossover where you have Amelia Clark's character from this show runs into. I mean, it's not. We're probably not going to get Richard Madden's character from the Eternals back. Uh, Icarus is probably you know flown a bit too close to the sun for that one. But you are going to get um... Kit Harrington. Yeah, Kit Harrington's character. Why Sophie would Turner. they have Sophie Turner? I I think she's well. She was in the Fox X Men stuff, wasn't she? Not the uh, proper MCU stuff. So hey, we're in the world of multiverses now. Anything is possible. Well, as I said, I still like to see what I mentioned on the other pod a few weeks back. That um, I'd still like to see all three Hulks rock out in one film. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? You know, if Spider Man could do it, why can't we have uh, Mark Ruffalo? Eric Banner and Edward, Edward Norton, Norton rock yeah. up. Yeah, I want to get Edward Norton's Hulk back as well because when he turned into the Hulk, it was proper badass. And now Hulk's <laughs> just like a bloke that meditates. Yeah, well, you know, meditation's good for the soul, my friend. Meditation's good for the soul. Having said that, the next line we get Fury saying in the trailer is, "This is his war." So he's gone full Rambo, man, and that he is the last person standing between them and what they really want. What they really, really want. So this is actually a. Uh, are we, a Spice Girls movie. Do you think we're going to have some sort of um, Blade Runner moment at the end of this, where Fury's just looking and there's like, oh, is he a scroll? I, I think it's what I think that's the end of the show has to be a big reveal that a character that we know is revealed to be a scroll. Whether they stick with it, for the I movie reckon or not, it's going to be an ambiguous ending where you you're questioning whether Nick Fury's a scroll. I, I reckon I'll get to that fairly early on because mm, nah, I reckon that'll be the ending. That'll be the ambiguous ending. No, I think it has to be... He, I think you'll have the bit where he questions whether he is or not. Like I say, in the comic books, it's Iron Man they do that with and he's not around it now. But I do think that... I mean... I Just don't change spoil Iron Man with... Um, Nick with Fury. Iron War Machine. What I like about it is it doesn't seem to be much superheroes in it. It's kind of agents versus aliens in a way, which is a terrible title for the show and they should definitely go with what they want. I don't know, man. I think agents versus aliens has got a bit of a catch to it. Did you ever watch Cowboys versus Aliens? Yes, and not many people did. Just, and I kind of just liked the title it. of that alone got me intrigued. <laughs> yeah, it was fine. It was perfectly fine, man. Oh, I, do you know? In fact, mate, I think you actually bought me Secret Invasion as a uh, Christmas gift one year on a Secret Santa. Did Sunday. I? Blimey, that must have been sure. feeling generous. I think our limit was fifteen pounds, so I was lucky. Yeah, I think it was fourteen ninety nine. <laughs> I owe you. I owe you a shiny penny. This looks like quite a serious departure for Marvel in terms of tone and style. And as others have noted online, it does feel more like, 
you know, your Civil War Winter Soldier spy thriller type vibe than your typical superhero show. Basically, I'm surprised that there's only six episodes, but then again, I think the whole point of this series is to outline the threat of the scrolls and see the idea amongst the other MCU properties we have out there that this could be going on in the background at the same time. So hopefully the idea is to make you question certain people's behaviours and motivations in other MCU movies and shows over the, the next phase or two. And as we know, the MCU are really good at building towards this. But as we mentioned um, when we did our last Marvel rundown a little while back, do you think Secret Wars and the Kang Dynasty are going to actually be following on from each other? Or do you think they're going to be culminations of two very different storylines with different rosters of Avengers? Yeah, that's probably more like it. It's, it's not good. I, I doubt it'll be like Infinity War following on. Uh, and yeah, I feel like it'll be two separate stories that will combine into one at some point. At like maybe the endings of both or there'll be some you know in some way I don't, uh, yeah that's how i think they'll go for it this time around i honestly think they're going to be standalone i honestly reckon that'll be both of them i i think kang there'll be uh, there'll be a bunch of films that lead up to kang and there'll be a bunch of films that lead up to secret wars and I don't think they're going to cross over. I think you're going to have different rosters. There may be that one moment where they both come together, like you say. But then again, aren't everyone? Isn't everyone going to go? Oh, we saw that ten years ago. But then again, it's been ten years, so probably people will be like, "Oh, nostalgia. I remember seeing that." <laughs> and us old people, Wouldn't really it have old been people, ten will be like, years ago. It probably will be that. by the time. No, well, I, I reckon it could be. Oh no, it's not. It's not. It's twenty. No. That's going to say surely not. But then again, no, it's, no, but it's been a bit solid three, four years since all that now. Perhaps yeah. more longer, hasn't it? Man, time's frightening. Yeah, well, I mean, as, as we established, mate, you are, you're scared of clouds and baths now. So, uh, and time. I genuinely was really scared of baths at one point in my life. Whenever I go into any room with a bath in it, I think that there was a dead naked lady in there. A ghost lady in the bath. Natasha's looking at me weird. I have to explain it to her. Do you ever see 13 Ghosts? The film 13 Ghosts? But she's like naked and she's all slashed up with loads of like... And I watched that film when I was like 10. It scarred me, yeah. Do you, why do you think I never take baths? Have you ever seen me take a bath in the five years we've been together? Just to um, let you know, folks, this is David talking to his partner, not actually talking to me on the pod right now. Just, just to be clear. Can we pull you back to the pod now, please, David? Yes. So next up, uh, I recently saw See How They Run, a murder mystery directed by someone I'd never actually heard of called Tom George but he's known for the BBC shows Defending the Guilty and This Country with See How They Run being his feature film debut and for those of you craving a Knives Out style Agatha Christie style whodunit then you really can't go wrong with a film about an Agatha Christie play featuring a version of Agatha Christie portrayed on screen at one point as well so the film takes place in 1950s London where drunken American filmmaker Leo Kopernik a wonderful slimy Adrian Brody is in town to make a film adaptation of the smash hit play The Mousetrap, which, yes, is still running to this day in the West End. Now, someone doesn't want the film to get made, and a murder occurs, setting our whodunit in motion. Now, being a murder mystery, everyone we meet is a potential suspect, from Ruth Wilson's theatre owner, Reese Shearsmith's film producer, and David Olieo's spurned screenwriter. Basically, everyone we meet is a potential suspect. And then we get introduced to our dynamic crime-solving duo, not Batman and Robin, it's Rockwell and Ronan. Sam Rockwell's I'd Rather Be in a Pub Inspector Stoppard, who is teamed up with Saoirse Ronan's rookie PC Stalker. And what a great name that is, PC Stalker. Immediately you're just like, her name's Stalker, right? Could she be the killer? No, I think it's Ag Agatha Christie. I think 
I think she's the killer. You think Agatha Christie's? Well, I mean, I, I will not obviously spoil that in the review. But I will say, David, when you get a chance to see this, PC Stalker will be one of your favourite characters. But her one line is, it's cheesy. They reference the, the theatre and film, but also what is going on in, in the scene at the same time. Honestly, mate, they're super cheese to the max. But because of her delivery, they're absolutely charming as opposed to cringy. I mean, there's a bit on, if you see the, like, the 30 second trailer on Twitter, and there's a bit where they find a body on a stage. It's like, the body was staged here, if you will. And like, Kill <laughs> turns around. And you're just like, it's just Sam Rockwell's no selling of all her jokes. I, you know, Sam Rockwell in this film is my spirit animal when I'm dealing with you, David. With your <laughs> jokes. You know, Sam Rockwell's a character that I'd like to see back in the MCU. Why can't we get uh, Justin Hammer back in the MCU? He didn't die, did he? He just sort of disappeared somewhere. I don't know. He did do a lot of dancing. I remember that. This film has had average to good reviews, with many stating that, uh, unfortunately, the constant comparisons to Christie is never really a good idea if your idea and story doesn't actually live up to the master, which, for me, see how they run doesn't. Uh, Despite a stellar cast, it's a strange and almost internal performance from Rockwell, and he's attempting some kind of British mumblecore accent. But also, they do make the cinematic uh, crime of having Sam Rockwell in a film and not letting him dance. You lose a star for that, see how they run. You lose a star. The other actors give really good performances, if by the numbers, as the plot flashes back to point the finger of suspicion at all the key players. But as I mentioned up front, this really is Ronan's film. Not surprisingly, she's the best thing in it by a country mile. Her over-enthusiastic rookie PC is always jumping headfirst to the situation, sometimes literally and immediately taking everything everyone says at face value, but always in the most fun and interesting ways. So, yeah, for me, this is a perfectly fine by-the-numbers murderous mystery that your parents will like, most probably, and it will keep you going until we get Knives Out to The Glass Onion in a couple of months' time. So, if I had to give it, I'd, I'd say a three out of five. Nice. I've, I, so I want to take Natasha to this one. I think she's, she's a big fan of the crime murder mystery style films. I'm a big fan of those. I've always liked Clue. You know that silly film Clue? Oh, mate, you'll love this then. Yeah, you'll yeah, love this. For some reason, I just really enjoy that film. And I feel like this is going to be one of those as well. Yeah, it's 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 a great, like I say, it's a small little film. and But it's the performances that work in it. I just, I think it's not clever enough. I think when you obviously, obviously you get a reveal of the, who the person is. The who did it moment, yeah. The who did it moment. And you just like, for me, I was like, yeah, I, I get it. But it didn't do anything clever, you know, like, Obviously, with Knives Out, there's a reveal with Knives Out fairly early on, and you're like, well, kind of like the midway point, you're like, but we know who it is now. Wait, what? How, what? What's going on? So, if, you know, that, I think, stands out more because it did something interesting with this, where this follows the tropes exactly of the genre. And I think it's trying to be clever by actually having Ag- Agatha Christie and her play in it as a um, plot point. I, I get, though, that they want to pay homage, but this is just a straight-up homage. It's not like a homage as a French a homage. Say. A homage. So, uh, yeah, um, yeah, I'd go and see it, mate. Although I would go and see it quite soon because I, I know it's not playing for much longer. So uh, get ye to the cinema. So, David, I'm quickly going to rip up the format of the show and because a new trailer just dropped while we were recording this and it is the new M. Night Shyamalan film, Knock at the Cabin. So I want you to go and watch the trailer right now while I play some instrumental music and then we're going to get your thoughts on it. I love how happy this family is already. You can tell that they really like being with each other and that they're such a happy family. Oh, the music's changed. We know something suspicious is happening. The, the, the little girl is looking like, who's that man over there? As the man walks and the music builds and ooh, slow motion shot of a door. Make the choice. Woo! 
Oh, that was a nice little thing there. Who's this? I'm going to sit. Wait, I'm going to need to pause it at the very end. Oh, okay. Okay, so Bautista's there in the background by the looks of it. And there's some lady, which looks like a washing sack or some sorts that you put your socks in. Like, you know those pink, you know those sacks that you put your, like, yeah, but you know, it looks like one of those sacks that you put, like, your bra in and your, under, like, you know, your, your stuff that you don't want to mix with the rest of the washing. Not that I wear bras, but you know what I'm saying. So, David, what did you think of the Knock at the Cabin trailer? I'm still I'm still trying to get my head around it, Neil, because I spoke a lot through it whilst I was <laughs> talking to you. Um, I feel like what Batista said after he'd knocked on the cabin door, which, based off the name of the film, is probably very significant, this, this Knock at the Without door. any spoilers, let me give you um, a little bit of background. So, Knock at the Cabin is actually based on the book, The Cabin at the End of the World, written by Paul G. Tremblay, who is a excellent horror writer who I've got about I think I've got three of his books uh, he's got another one called Head Full of Ghosts about a girl uh, who's possessed or is she and another one called Disappearance at Devil's Rock which is again brilliant books man so he's, he's definitely worth having a read of uh, he's one of the few authors that I have bookmarked you know when on his, I follow his page on Amazon so whenever anything he has whenever he has something new coming out I immediately get it but add it to the basket exactly but it makes me laugh because I've just had a quick look at the Wikipedia page on this and it says, Knock at the Cabin is an upcoming American apocalyptic horror film. And look, it's the threat of the apocalypse, right? That's the whole idea of the thing is you have this nice family going for a vacation in the woods uh, with their daughter and you just know bad things are going to happen. But you could tell by when the music changed that bad things were going to happen. I think that was that was when you knew something bad was going to happen was when the music went like that. You know, it went from being nice and happy to, like, to like ooh. I, I like how they've got premise listed as Knock at the Cabin is described as a home invasion horror film that takes place during the apocalypse. Well, it's not really... It's, it's that's kind of wrong because the whole crux of the film is Batista and his band of people turn up to the house and he's very soft-spoken and he's quite polite and he's essentially trying to convince the two guys that they have to make a choice, and if they don't make a choice, a bad choice, then they're going to cause the apocalypse. And so it's kind of, as the you can read through the book, you're kind of thinking, are they full of shit and just nut jobs, or is there something more to it? And so it's 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 got a very... And Tremblay does this a lot in his books, where... He sets up a really good idea straight away. And then you're like, you know, you know, like you've got the other book where the girl was possessed. Is she possessed or is she just pretending? You know, in this one it is, is there apocalypse coming or isn't there an apocalypse coming? And then he plays both sides. So you're really not too sure where you're going, obviously, until you get to the end of the book. Um, yeah, the film stars Dave Batista, And as, as we mentioned earlier, this is, looks like we've got acting Dave Batista. You have action Dave Batista, You have comedy Dave Batista, You have kids film Dave Batista. And you also have acting Dave Batista. Hey, who's kids' film Dave Batista? He made a film called My Spy that he produced, where he's a secret agent who has to team up with a school little schoolgirl. Oh, I can see why I didn't know about that. That was his Arnie phase, right? He's he's just going through the phases really quickly. Like The Rock did it, didn't he? I'm sure The Rock's done a film with a kid at some point. So Batista's just, you know, checking off all the boxes. Like Journey but to the Centre of the Earth, that sort of stuff. That's The Rock. There you go. Well, what I like about it, though, is that M. Night Shyamalan actually said the reason he cast Batista was because of his performance in Blade Runner 2049. That was the main reason he wanted him to star in Knock at the Cabin. And although he's not in Blade Runner 2049 a lot, he was so good, they actually shot a little short film about his character. I think it's called Sapper. 
his character in Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, I've seen, yeah, you, I've seen that, yeah. That was so good, wasn't it? And yeah. you're watching it going, Batista can actually really fucking act well, man. He isn't just like action yeah, guy. Yeah, no, acting guy. Batista's good. I like acting Batista. He should yeah, just stick I, I, to just acting Batista. I think these are the kind of roles he really wants, you know, but he has to take, the uh, obviously, the action roles. and you know, It's a job at the end of the day. I'm sure he's got enough money. I, I like that he's spreading his wings as an actor. You know, you wouldn't see, uh, you know, you haven't seen The Rock in anything this taxing, I don't think, really yet. The Rock's gone into, you know, his action and superhero films, which is fine, but... Well, yeah, but the, the Rock's sort of different, though, isn't he? The Rock's arguably one of the biggest superstars in the world at the moment. Yeah. And I, I think, and that's, and that's what's better for Batista, is that because he isn't as well-known as The Rock, I mean, obviously he's well-known because of Drax, that essentially made him, but he gets to pick supporting roles, or gets picked for supporting roles in much more interesting films, because he hasn't got that level. If you put The Rock in this smaller role, or, you know, like The Rock would never take that role in Blade Runner because he's The Rock, he needs to be the lead. And so, and then, and if you did do that, people would be like, oh, what's The Rock doing in it? He's surely, oh, he should have had more to do than that. So Batista's kind of at this good level where he can do, he can do the big action films and the comedies and all that kind of stuff, but he can also take smaller roles in these much better films and work with some, I mean, Denis Villeneuve and M. Night Shyamalan, that's two great directors to work with. But one thing is, I'm, I don't know why they've changed the name of the film to Knock at the Cabin, because uh, when I was writing my notes down on it, literally while uh, you were watching it. What? Uh, what was the original title of the book? Cabin at the, the Cabin end of the world. at the end of yeah, which I think is a better title. Probably, probably so does the author. Could they have just lost the knock and just called it at the cabin? Would that have worked? At the cabin would work if you put three dots after it as well. Just at the cabin. No, I like the dots because it suggests something. The dots suggest something is going to happen at the cabin. Do you see that in film titles? Though? No, you not you don't really. So yeah. that's why I like to see it there. Okay. I think it'd be different. Anyway, what do you want to talk about next, David? Because we are delving into our spoiler section. So are we going to have House of the Dragon or Cobra Kai? Oh, shall we go Cobra Kai first? Cobra Kai. Shall we, try, shall we chop off the head of the snake? Spoilers? Where we're going, there are nothing but spoilers. As season four of Cobra Kai ended, Cobra Kai actually won the All Valley, and our heroes, Magido, were forced to close. Don't, hey, 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 I feel like you just did. I feel like you just did Eagle Fang Karate and it did an injustice there. You only mentioned uh, Mawagido that closed down. My, my, uh, uh, what, what do, sorry? What do? Mo- Miyagido. Miyagido, okay. I thought you said Mogwai, though. Nah, mi- do you know what, though? That'd be a whole different type of film, but I would... Karate Gremlins? I'm there. I'm Maybe there they could name that as the uh, like, team-up team that they still haven't named. <laughs> Mog- no, no, that's, that's a terrible idea. Forget forget we mentioned it. It's going to be Miyagi but, Fang, surely, anyway. Yeah, it ended with Crease uh, getting double-crossed by Silver, who is even more of a bigger douche nozzle than Crease by the looks of things now. Silver beats up Stingray and then gets him to say it was Crease who assaulted him, and Crease is taken to jail. With Miguel, he skips his big fight and just goes off to Mexico. Could have at least done your fight first, Miguel, and then gone to find your real dad. And uh, we get the start of Robbie and Johnny kind of beginning their reconciliation. And of course, we get yet another of Daniel's former villains turning up to help him as who arrives, David? Who Chosen. Arrives? Chosen arrives. Um, and without doubt, throughout this entire series, bringing Chosen in to be a main character was probably the best decision that they've made. The show was already good, but Chosen was just such a good comic relief in so many moments. He was brilliant. I get big Wong energy from Chosen. Like, you know he can be hardcore and badass, but also he can be really funny. Just the, um, 
like all the cultural moments and like the misunderstandings and just when he's sitting there watching what was it like Desperate Housewives or something I can't remember what it was but he made some comments like all these little comments like he's, he was the perfect comedic relief whilst also maintaining that awesome exterior that you mentioned which you see in like what is it the second episode where he beats up six people in one go without breaking a sweat without even like looking like he's really bothered by it he's just like yeah, yeah. what even are these dudes what are you doing to me here you don't care and we knew we were heading towards the miguel's dad's a rich drug dealer storyline and i was thinking oh god this is going to take ages but they went through it really quickly and i thought it was really well played i thought it was going to drag on all season and it was resolved really simply yeah in the second second episode was it Third second episode, episode it was pretty much done Turns up, goes, oh, yeah, this guy seems okay. Oh, no, wait, he's a bit of a dick. Yep. Yeah, hey, mum, you were right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm coming, coming home. And I, I, I love the... I was I was a little bit disappointed by that, actually, maybe a little bit. But I liked the fact that it was resolved quickly, but I was a bit... Because there was such a build-up to, oh, who is Miguel's dad? And there was all these fan theories going about of who, who his dad could be. For it to literally just be a dickhead drug dealer. Oh, okay, it's a dickhead <laughs> drug dealer. I'm going to go home. I was a bit like, oh, okay. It's sort of like a. It felt like a waste to his ending of the fourth season. And yeah, I, but, like um, that's what I said uh, just just a minute ago. It's like, why didn't he do his fight and then go? What was so pressing that he had to run? No, off he there broke and his then? back, didn't he? Well, he sort of he injured his back, didn't he? Do you remember? You know, he, he did that kick and then he hurt his back, and there's that scene where he's oh. like, "Sensei." I forgot that. I, yeah. So that that was a. Re- so he was injured. He, that was kind before, of before, so he couldn't really. Yeah. So that was kind of re- reminding him of his injury from a previous season finale. Yeah, yeah, it's oh, okay. back, yeah. Cool, 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 cool. I did like Johnny and uh, Robbie's FBI shirt spooking him enough to go, spooking Miguel's dad enough to go into hiding. Have they never seen a, a, a you know a female body inspector T-shirt before? Yeah, well, I suppose from the back or the front, it looks very... Uh, it's from the front, right? It looks convincing. I mean, you'd have to be a bit of a muppet to think that um, Robbie's a old enough to be <laughs> but hey i guess it was a dark club you know mistakes happen that, that's the kind of thing that happens in it uh mexican mma fight clubs yeah i will say mate with with this show it's such an easy watch though you know it's and i think it's probably one of the few shows where the binge model actually still works really well for it i think that yeah 100 percent. i think if this was on once a week it wouldn't garner the same level of attention as it does in one binge Purely because the episodes are shorter, and this, as, as fun and entertaining as it is, the stakes aren't that high. I wouldn't see it being something where people are discussing like Lord of the Rings or yes. Game of Thrones every week. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not that. Although it's massive, it's a massive show and a really big success. It is one of these things that you can probably watch the whole thing in what three, four hours. It, uh, probably, yeah. Well, a bit maybe. longer than that. How, maybe? How long are they? Well, they're about forty minute, thirty minute, forty minute episodes, aren't they? They're as long as they need to be, which yeah. is great. Which is what you want. Yeah, and then there's what ten of them, so yeah, probably it has that perfect just one more episode appeal to it. And like I say, I think probably much anyone who watches it will binge the whole thing in maybe two or three sessions. I mean, some people will do it in one the whole way back to back. And what I think season five does really well is it expands the newer characters from the previous seasons. So you've got Ellen, Anthony, and Kenny be given a lot more to do this season. But I think, and it'll be interesting to see your thoughts on this, David what the show's major problem going forward is. And it, it it is that almost every main kid now has switched sides so many times you are running out of new villains to populate the Cobra well, the, Kai side I don't, of things. This is it. I can't... From, well, the, 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 let's just talk straight to the finale then. 
Within the finale, I think Head of the Snake would have actually been a very good way to have just closed out the series altogether. To have said, yeah. this is this is the ending. Um, this is what happens at the ending. This is, And then that's it. I, I think that would have been a very satisfying way to have completely finished the show. Aside from the hanging, like a couple of like plot threads, such as the um, Seteki Taikai um, martial arts tournament that they're all emptied yeah. into. Um, so, but if that wasn't mentioned or if, or anything like that, I think it would have been a very good way to have finished finished the show because of that exact reason that there doesn't seem to actually be a villain at the moment, aside from what we saw the at sensei's. the very beginning, yeah. which is Crease um, escaping prison. So Crease is the villain, but there's no Cobra Kai anymore. Cobra Kai seems to have died. Well, here's a funny thing, right? Crease's escape at the end of the season for me. I thought was terrible. Look, I get that he's a former Vietnam vet and he's a massive tough guy, but I thought that was terrible. And not in a laughably bad kind of way. There's no way he'd be able to Hannibal Lecter his way out of a prison. And also no way in the hell that the police immediately wouldn't be out looking for him. And like, you know he's going to turn up and see the people in season six, but there's no way that he should even make it back yeah, to... Yeah, I think, all... I think with what this show... I think, oh, I think what this show does better than a lot of other shows is that those moments of sort of unrealistic writing or over the top silliness and stuff like that um because because of what it is it doesn't really matter as much like when i see that sort of writing in an mcu content because i know what the because i know mcu is capable of doing much better it annoys me in that environment but when i see it that sort of sloppy writing in this because it's happened before and the like it is just sort of not taken very seriously kind of show that's just super enjoyable it doesn't annoy me as much when there is that sort of sloppy sloppy meaning fair reasoning enough. behind something no that's that's a that's a good point i mean like you say it's not high drama it's it's cheesy fun and the cheesiest of cheesy fun but i just exactly at, for me for me though that crease escape scene i was like this is bullshit like you, the show doesn't need no, it. I can, yeah, they I could can have understand just had that. Yeah. I, I would have been quite happy if they just murdered him in prison. I'd be like, yep, yeah, okay. And uh, what would have been really nice is um, you see, you know, Crease's body getting wheeled out as Silver's getting booked in. That would have been really nice. Yeah, having him see his having him see his corpse or something like. Yeah, yeah as he's going in, and he's just like, oh fuck, that would have been really interesting. Yeah, well, you know, I have lots of ideas, David. But yeah, like I say, this is. I like how um, th- that's the problem, isn't it? All the kids are now pretty much all on the same side. Mm. There's uh, yeah, like all the all the main ones as well. Like you've got like you mentioned the the characters that even the characters that were still on the evil side were the they're sort. no longer with Cobra the, Kai. Yeah. Oh well, they were like the tertiary character. Tertiary is that the right word? Yeah, tertiary. Yeah, Ellen, Just, Anthony. The, uh, well, Ellen yeah, and Kenny were, were the only two real yeah, main characters. Yeah, Ke- Ke- Kenny and Kenny especially, and was the, really the main villain. And he he was very much only came into it in the last season, didn't he? It was very much yeah. felt like a third character anyway. He's, you know, you didn't really care about him versus um, anyone really because you just felt no. like he wasn't really an established enough character to care about the the, the fight against him. Or, also in this season, I thought Sam and Torres storylines were kind of not given enough. Well, good enough, really. Sam's whole thing was, you know, she had that whole PTSD thing from Tori in the previous season. And it didn't really go anywhere. They weren't really featured enough. They didn't really mm. have storylines. And, you know, they tried to put in a, 
oh, she still likes Miguel, but he then hooks up with that other girl at the party, but it didn't really matter because it was just a party, and they, you know, it's kind of, and then Tori's whole thing, we, we've known this whole thing that she has a tough life, and she's, and you know, her being like the spy on the inside for the whole way, it took too long for the eventual reveal, and like you said, like we both said, the end of the season, Cobra Kai has been humiliated, so what do they do for the next season? Are anyone going to be, is anyone from our kind of core cast of kids actually going to be on Cobra Kai, or does, how is it going to work with Crease yeah, and Silver? I mean, it wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me if they sort of merge, maybe Cobra Kai and. Okay, so this might be a bit out there. This might be a bit out there. A merge of Cobra Kai and Miyagi Do. I think you're spot on there. And then, and then, because the because the uh, the martial arts tournament, which I mentioned literally just five seconds ago, and now I forgot. Sekitai. Yeah, yeah, or something. Yeah. That tournament. I feel like they're going to bring in. Characters, characters and villains yeah. within that tournament space which the guys have got to go against so bringing in new villains to fight and overcome in that tournament do you think the whole i reckon that the next series is going to like finish almost have like a rocky thing where there's going to be like it's going to be training montage you know training yeah like you say there is no real cobra kai now was it with silver being arrested and being exposed do they bring in another character to take over cobra kai i think it will go I, full can't... circle Maybe. It has to be everyone. I think every like they they still haven't decided on the name, have they, for their team? So what do you say, uh, Miyagi Miyagi Kai Miyagi Kai? There you go. That's what they're going to go for. Miyagi Kai, maybe yeah, potentially the yeah. Uh, and have the have the snake twisting around a bonsai. It's better than Cobra Doe. Oh, that'd be cool. A snake twisting around a bonsai. I, mate, they've probably done it already. Like we'll we'll just be like, hey, give us money because we already written your season of six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the. Um... <laughs> But no, that's that's decent, and I've, yeah, and I do think that the uh, the villains and the sort of it wouldn't surprise me if the last like four episodes of the finale oh, the tournament. are all the tournament of some sort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they just go, okay, we we can't like do because because like they have because cheesy... they have rehashed a lot of like a lot because let's they've they've used up I think all of the like um, all of the old. Like original cast members that they can bring in as. We even got Mike Barnes, didn't we? Yeah, Mike, Mike which was Barnes. awesome. I fucking loved Mike Barnes, and I thought the actor was still really good. Because yeah, yeah, you know, which is surprising. They've all, all the ones, aside from maybe Crease, where it's been a bit odd here and there, but they've all come in and been like, oh, okay, believable and decent um, acting performances. Uh, from I think that Silver have really has been fantastic. Yeah, especially from people that haven't done any acting really since before or since. Um, the Cobra since they were in the the original Karate Kids, so seeing Mike Barnes was pretty cool as well. Coming back, I think it has to end soon because these kids legally won't be one able season. to be at school one much more longer. One, one more, more season. season and a movie, which Six makes me really sad. Makes me super sad that it might only be one more season. But I think it is. But just you can't one drag these things out. Because, again, the school setting is becoming very repetitive and that new kids are featured and then they join well, one of the dojos seasons. or then they join the other one. The last two of seasons that. have all taken place in summer break, haven't they? Yeah. And then you have to, you know, but every season, new kids in the school, they go up a year and then you bring in new kids and then that's just so you can bung them on the side I think, of Cobra Kai. I think Kai. we've only actually had one year pass in the Cobra Kai timeline. Really? Timeline. I think so. Because the last two seasons have definitely only been the summer holidays. And then the third season ended with Miguel breaking his back, right? So that ha- that was the end of school. 
Yeah. And then I'm not sure about the first and second, maybe. Oh, no, because there was the first season ended with uh, the tournament and the fourth season ended with the tournament. So that's one year there. And then it's just the summer afterwards. So, yeah, it's just a little over a year. Okay. Maybe well, the first season was a whole year and then this one was, you know. Now, it's David, long. Yeah. have you heard as well, there is a rumour that they are planning a new Karate Kid film. I have. Now, I have seen that, yeah. Do we know... Is it going to be made by the makers of Cobra Kai or someone else entirely? Because mm. if they don't get the team behind Cobra Kai for it, once the TV series ends, they are missing out on all the money because a big screen adaptation of this, they will just, they've absolutely messed it up because no one, I, I, I don't think I've seen a show that better mixes an original movie series and a modern show together. So many other shows and movies have tried it. Top Gun even tried doing it recently, didn't they? In Maverick, where they here's a scene of the original film mixed in but Cobra Kai just does it better than anyone that is the best thing I can say about it it is very good it wasn't really done in season 5 much at all but they do do it well there was no there was no there was nothing no other films to really flash back to you had a brief bit of Mike Barnes didn't you to just give him uh, his character thing but I mean who is there left to turn up in the show from the original films now um, well it's all about I think it's called the Miyagi verse I think that's what they call it, the, the writers. The they call it the Miyagi-verse. So basically okay. anybody that ever interacts or has interacted with Mr. Miyagi is canon to come into Cobra Kai. Um, right, so you know who that means then, don't you, David? Yeah, so Cobra Kai, well, Karate Kid 4. Hilary Swank? Hilary Swank. Hilary Swank, she's the only one left. She's the only one left to go. And whoever Hilary Swank's villain was, I can't remember who that was at all, but Hilary Swank's the only one, I suppose. Wouldn't it be good if they brought Hilary Swank in as a villain? Because uh, she's a woman. So they'd be like, oh, we can't fight her. That'd be kind of good. I, that'd be a nice little twist. I mean, at least, at least... I don't think Johnny's going to be like, I can't fight her. I don't think Johnny's yeah, going to Yeah, jo- Johnny would blatantly kick her in the face, wouldn't he? But, well, <laughs> equal rights, and I'm a feminist, and then kick her in the face. That, yeah. He literally would say something like that and then kick her in the face. But yeah, but I mean, hopefully it isn't like a situation where the studio who own the rights are separate from the TV, and they're like, yeah, let's just... Hey, everyone loves this Cobra Kai show. Let's make a new Karate Kid film. I mean, just just continue Cobra Kai and, into the into the movies, right? That would be the way to do it. Have them grown up, come back a decade later, come back and have, that that would be so cool. And then you've like got this ever evolving cycle of it. You know, that would be so cool, man. Really oh wait, cool. what 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 what? How many stars would you give the uh, Cobra Kai season season five? I'm gonna go out of five, four out of five. Or seven out of ten. I'm gonna go five out of five out of five, nine out of ten. The only reason for me, I, I knock a little bit off, is the crease thing. I thought was ridiculous. It like really took it out, took me out of it, and uh, it's just getting a little bit repetitive now. I, I, every time it comes on TV, it's my favorite show. Yeah. Every time it comes, and on, and, the, and it came out during a time with House of the Dragon and Rings of Power <laughs> on as episodic releases every week. And it's and it's it still became my favourite show. Yes, we know, David. We know you are no mercy. Right, and finally today in our spoiler section, we are catching up with House of the Dragon. This is your spoiler alert. So as we record this, we are up to episode four. <laughs> Okay, that, so episode that two. That was one of my first disappointments, actually. What the music? The what the music being exactly the same uh, for the title title. Oh my god, what's it called? The, the, you forgot what the word credits was. Yeah, but the title. <laughs> anyway, 
the um, opening title, the music, intro sequence, yeah, yeah, yeah. opening, yeah, opening, it's an introduction sequence, yeah, all of that. The song being exactly the same was a little bit disappointing. I was hoping they'd mix it up a little bit, but I, but still, man, that that opening burr, 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 kicks hard. But it's iconic, isn't it? It's yeah, iconic. It, it, it bridges it the kicks, gap. It kicks you hard. It gets you shots. right there. It kicks you hard. It does, yeah. but, but then again, are they going to have that for every single one of these um, spin-offs, prequels that they have? Is you no know, the Jon Snow show going to be? Burr, 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 is the um... well, what they could do is they could they could they could change it slightly depending on the regions it's in. But as this is in the same region, like if the like the Jon Snow show is just going to be him and his direwolves up north, isn't it? So you probably have you know I don't know some bagpipes or something thrown in, maybe with it. But yeah, um, well, episode two is the first time we actually see the title sequence on the show because we yep. didn't have it in episode one, did we? No. And the title sequence is blood flowing through a map of different signs and house sigils, which I'm reliably informed has lots of clues in it if you know the book well and do your research. So, David, what can you tell me about the title sequence? I can't really tell like... you much. I can't because you just said no, that. because I they can't are, really tell you they are spoilers. <laughs> yeah. But well, not really. So about... It's not really. The, I, t- I, will, I will say one thing. Within these four episodes, um, mm-hmm. there are some very, very good foreshadowing that goes on. Um, Love a good foreshadow? W- well, very good foreshadowing that goes on. Some of it quite clever as well. Um, like, some of it's quite obvious, uh, and some of it potentially not. Um, uh, it's hard to... With, you can't... You're not letting me spoil. It's hard not to spoil when you know it. So... But that foreshadowing is there, and it is wonderful. And if you know it, you know it. With with some of the some of the things that we've seen on screen, can I mention one? Can I mention one? But you don't need to know. But but you don't need to know why 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 it's foreshadowing. Like it's just, but it's very good and it's quite clever. Go on, you get one. Okay, every time uh, Alison is holding um, Helena, her baby, it's right. Helena's crying. Um, okay. That is that is just uh, very clever. It's, it's it's genius. Which means nothing to me until I see it, I guess. Right, so um, episode two, like we mentioned, is called The Rogue Prince. And this episode is all about the political strings everyone is trying to pull on the grief-stricken king while they suggest new potential queens for him. And yet, by the end of the episode, all the politicking and best intentions have gone out the window when he ignores all advice and chooses his slimy hands daughter, Alicent Hightower, best friend of his frankly shocked daughter, Raniera. Now, I think this episode takes place roughly five months after the death of the Queen, and we have a disgraced Damon, uh, played by Matt Smith, he's returned to Dragonstone, and little fuckers stolen a dragon egg, while a war rages in the Step Zones, led by uh, Prince Dakar, the Crab Man. Crab Feeder, sorry. I'm always going to call him Crab Man because of my name is Earl. Yeah, let's hey, just Crab call man. him the crab, crab man. the crab Man. Yeah, that's cool. Hey, Earl. People know what we're and talking he- about. They know, they know who the crab man is. Anyway, he's taken up a fleet of against Lord Corlys as well. And, well, it's not going too well for Lord Corlys. And he's feeding his crabs. Corlys demands action while the king pontificates. Rania turns up and says, fuck all this shit. I'm going to turn up with my dragon and I'm going to get the app back. And she absolutely schools her uncle. We see a bit more of a further festering and decline in the king's health. And Rhaenyra is warned by her aunt, I think, <laughs> that they will never let a woman sit the Iron Throne. And also... Creepy, 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 super creepy child bride. I mean, okay, critics have said, oh, why in a made-up yeah, fantasy yeah, 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 yeah. land, why, why in a made-up fantasy land do you even have to go with the concept of child brides when, yes, we get it. We get that that whole thing was there, but it's fantasy. 
And they have a point, because the scene with Viserys and a young girl really doesn't help show him in a good light. Despite the fact that he openly rejects her, it's not the idea of marrying a girl that young that he rejects. It's just who she is that he rejects. It's that fact that the show feels it needs to even suggest it. Like, there is no... And really, man, there is no point. They didn't have to go down that road or that thing. Especially I with all the... both agree and disagree with what you're saying. Lay it I... out for me. Well, because I think it's... I suppose it is a fantasy show and uh, ultimately I guess you don't need to go full incest into everything um, like they do well, full, quite openly full child in the show. But, and full child brides. But because it is based on, you know, medieval England and medieval, you know, a lot of it is based off historical, you know, happenings. Yeah, and it is done in the books. I quite respect that they've kept it how it is kept in the books more so than it has been in Game of Thrones where in Game of Thrones, you know, the, the main cast are all like, I think Rob's like 13 when he starts out and Jon Snow's 13, you know, they're not adults uh, going off, you know, or early twenties, they're young men. Um, and in this, I think it, I like the fact that it's kept it very close to the source material in the, in that, that Lainor Valerian is a young child when she's being produced to him and saying like, you know what? I haven't got to sleep with you until I'm at least 15. Um, I like that. I like the realism there. That's what I like about it. I don't want it to pull its punches with stuff like that. I like that. It's being kept close to the source. Facility. Even, even though you're like, all right, that's you a bit much. I don't need to know that yeah. this is happening or even think about this is happening. However, yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate how close to the source material it's keeping. And I appreciate that it isn't pulling its punches in that, with, with in regards to well, it. as as we mentioned, as 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 we get to the end of episode two, we have a furious call is really just utterly spitting spitting feathers at the king for rejecting his daughter's proposition of marriage in favour of Alison, and uh, also the, also the king's reluctance to get involved in the crab war. I'm calling it the crab war now, and of course this leads up to Corlys teaming up with Damon, which can't be good for anyone. Well, it's not bad. It's not a bad team up, to be fair. It's, it's well as 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 we get to episode three, second of his name, it's actually quite a good team up because this episode begins with what I would say is our first major action scene, as we saw Coley's and Damon unable to fully stop the crab feeders, even with their dragons. I mean, you got characters just flambeing everything in sight, but hey, you know, hide in a small cave, massive dragon can't get in it, can't get in both sides, so they they done quite that's quite clever by the uh, the crab the crab man here. They think they think they had a good strategy towards dragons. Would you um, hide in a cave from a dragon? A small cave yeah. that a dragon can get into? Well, considering a tr- dragon's breath can burn my flesh and bone to dust, probably. You would think, would why? I do. I did sort of think. Why didn't the dragon just sort of land and just blow fire into the holes where they're la- you know just be there and be like, Phew. I don't know. If there's. Maybe there's some tactical areas which we didn't really explore properly with the whole dragon flame and thing. But So then we jump forward a few years from the last episode and Alicent has already provided Viserys an heir, Aegon. And the second storyline deals with a hunting trip to kill a legendary white stag to celebrate baby Aegon's second name day. And man, this scene really made me think of a similar scene that we didn't actually see in the original show, which was the death of Mark Addis Robert Baratheon on a drunken hunt. And uh, 
I was there suspecting, thinking, are they going to do the same thing again? Because, again, without knowing the books inside out, I don't know at what point Paddy Constantine's Viserys checks out in the show. And so they're doing a really good job of referencing the original show here, making me think, you know, he's got the boils on his back. Or is it, that's sad. I'm amazed that he was still alive in this episode. Every episode, I'm just like, this is your it's, last one, Viserys, mate. I don't think you're going to be around much longer. <laughs> it's really clever how they're doing... Have, have you noticed his fingers um, yep. throughout it? So, so that little cut that he got on the throne in the first episode, was it? Or was it the second yep, episode? Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah. So that, that cut has festered. And um, it's going all through his fingers and you see him putting him into maggots and stuff like that at one scene. But then he starts oh, yeah. wearing gloves over that hand uh, in public so people can't like see a, it. And even like when a he's, heroin addict. And even at the end of this episode, um, he, he can't grip the spear with his fingers. He's like holding the spear in a specific way. So they're, they're being quite tight on the detail, like really quite good with the details of his injuries. Yep, no, star- no, um, no Starbucks cups left in this show. Well, not yet. Not yet. Um, but I will say um, the hunt, I, I know I said that. Also, dur- also during the hunt, uh, we saw that the princess and Sir Kristin grew a little bit closer on an unexpected trip into the woods overnight, which obviously sets up uh, the next episode quite nicely. Boom, chicka, boom, boom. But I have to say, um, I was really surprised. I didn't expect the big battle scene with Crabman at the start and at the end of the episode, which really bookended the show nicely. And I love, I love how, like you mentioned, how absolutely badass Damon is that he would rather risk death than his brother's help. Literally, they've been stuck there for months in an impasse. And then he's like, oh, yeah, your brother's sending some, some guys to help you. He's like, fuck this. And just storms off and murders beats everyone. beats the bloke that tells him that that's yeah, coming. Yeah, exactly. And that then was, sacrifice, oh, yeah. offers basically a blood sacrifice to it for himself. Um it was awesome. It man. was. And, he, yeah, and like I said, oh, I didn't say because I think he cut it. And and Damon, uh, he actually, Matt Smith only had like one line, I think, in the entire. And what line was in that? In the entire episode. I can't even remember. He, he, was, he was pretty much voiceless throughout that entire episode. And he stole it with, with, with those action set pieces and just how fucking badass he is. Yeah. And it's weird. This kind of, for me, marked a bit of a change in his character. Like he's he did seem a bit more mature in it, didn't he? I mean, well, I say mature. He ran off screaming and murdered a bunch of people, but he's competent, isn't he? And I think that's what we haven't seen with. It showed it shows his pride a lot more than. Oh yeah, he'd rather die than have his brother's help. Also, I've got to mention I do like Viserys' big Lego sets that we keep seeing every episode. I know I quite like him. I quite like them as well. I think that's what the blood runs through. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what they reckon. Um, some of the uh, I read an article somewhere, and they said that oh, well, the blood is like if you if you know all the houses and the sigils inside out, where the blood runs can kind of tip you into who's going to be killed and all this kind of stuff. I was like, that's cool, but I do not want to know that. I just want to watch the show and enjoy it. But I suppose if you have read the book and you do know you know exactly everything that's going to happen, then it's a good Easter egg for you. I think I yeah, just don't pay much attention to it and you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah just yeah. enjoy it for what um, it is. So this brings us up to episode four, King of the Narrow Sea. And hey, it starts off with the brothers kind of being friends again, as you know, as close as close as they're going to get. To be fair, I wonder how long that's going to last. Hint: not very long. They don't you reconcile to... for long, yeah. <laughs> no, no, not not very long. Uh, and you get a brief hint that Rhaenyra and Alison have begin their kind of recon- reconciliation as well. I mean, it only, it's only took them however many years since we've jumped from the previous uh, from episode two to episode four. 
And of course, it's, David, that, this has they to be don't like... have much to do as well. These people, like, there's no Netflix to just sit and watch. No. So surely they've just got each other's company all the time. <laughs> well, unless I say, and Raniero has basically been a ghost for two years. This is basically what she says. She's like, you know, mm. she's just like been sitting under the tree, being really mournful. And was she, was she making a guy play to her, like play play like the lute or something to her? Yeah, do that song again or something. Or was he reading to her? I forget. It was something. She was basically just like telling a slave to do stuff for her. And of course, David. This is the episode where here comes the incest. Yep. Holy uncle fucker, Batman. Yep, she did try to fuck her uncle, but then he stopped her. So, of course, she then just drunkenly steals Sir Kristen's helmet, who her misses, and then refuses to give it back to him, luring, her, luring him into her chamber for a, an abnormally long sex scene because it probably took her at least an hour to get it all probably, his probably did, yeah. <laughs> I was just like, I was like... This is going on way too long, and the reason it's gone on this long is because he's got a shitload of armor on. And uh, I just like uh, it was just such a good scene because they had, they hinted really on early on, didn't they, that there might be a slight attraction between uh, niece and uncle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, man- it's been there. It's been there from episode one, where like you know, yeah, Sly yeah. looks at each other, um, giving her a presents. Like, there's been that sort of attraction, and Damon's. You know, and it's it's not uncommon within the family. Targaryens marry brother to sister all the time. So, you know, us thinking, oh, that's fucking weird for them. It's just completely natural. And just to prove what a slimy arsehole he is, Hightower actually suggests to Viserys that he's going to marry, he should marry Ranyea to his two-year-old stepbrother. I was like, what? You're a dick, dude. You're like, I can't remember now who, oh, yeah, I'll marry Ranyea to Aegon. Yeah, his, step, yeah, yeah, yeah. his stepbrother. Yes, yes, that is that is suggested. Yeah. I mean, dude. Did you see? Um, I put a gif out after watching that episode on our Twitter account, and it was literally just Terence and Philip from the uh, South not, Park. The it movie. annoys me that it's not Aegon. That it's Aegon. Aegon sounds so much cooler. That's how I. That's how I always read it and see it as Aegon, and I don't see it as Aegon because I don't. Is want this to just give eggs. A, a, pr- a, pronunci- a pronunciation issue with you, though? Yeah. But it is meant to be Aegon. So uh, again, and it's just such a good episode, man. It's like I, I am loving again. I'm this loving. one had some really good foreshadowing in it. Um, some brilliant foreshadowing in episode four. Um, if you know, you know. The, if you know, you know. If you know, if you know, you know. And I loved how um, when Damon has his seduction scene, and when he wakes up in. Um, you know, the kid gets his money from Otto and then Otto and then when Damon wakes up drunk or whatever he is, um, the, the the kid gives the money that he took from Otto to the Damon's mistress whore lady, oh, whose name I've oh, now yeah. forgotten. Uh, so it's like, you know, it heavily insinuates that Damon set up the entire thing. Oh, yeah. To, uh, to, to, to basically for his own ends. Has he done this purely to discredit her claim to the throne? Or does he actually genuinely... And it feels like he has, because he didn't quite go the whole way, did he? Like, he stopped her. She was definitely up for it. And then he was like, eh, no, I've, I've done enough. People have seen it. Right, I'm out of here. I'm going to go and get really drunk, shit-faced now. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see where the story... Of course. Then he, then he, he definitely went on a bender and ended up getting repeatedly kicked on the floor by his brother, which I kind of liked. He was. He he had a bit of. That's the first time we've had a bit of kind of a vibe of Tyrion in this show, wasn't it? Where Matt Smith just drunkenly laying there on the floor, being obnoxious. I was like, "Yeah, here for that." 
here for that, definitely. <laughs> yeah, as it brought that com- comedy area that you said it was lacking. Yeah, it just, well, not it just needs it just needs a bit of wit. It needs a bit of black comedy because you're not going to have ha ha comedy in Game of Thrones. I mean, mm. you had some, but it just needed to be not as morbid. I believe that we have one more episode, episode five, and then it's farewell to our young Alison, played by Emery Karen. So yes, there's going to be one more episode with the main cast uh, we as we know it before then transitioning over to new cast members uh, taking the place of Alison Hightower and uh, Renea Targaryen, who are basically the two main characters of the show, aside from Viserys. Uh, uh, Where you say they're the main characters, I don't think really Alison's had a lot to do in it yet. She's had a couple of scenes here and there, but I wouldn't have thought of her as a main character yet. Oh, dude, she will be. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. Well, again, the the, the If you don't see it now... No, no, I see it. I see it. I know she's going to be. Because that's where the show's headed, right? For at least I'm speculating because, again, you're going to have Alison and her son going for the throne. You're going to have Damon trying to go for the throne. And, of course, you're going to have uh, Raniera going for the pro- for the throne. And this is before we even get into their offspring down the line, right? So it's, it's, that's, where it gets, that's where it gets interesting is their offspring, yeah. It's the offspring. <laughs> they're, they're kids. <laughs> yeah, and so we... It's, I think it's to the show's detriment and success that you're moving through the years so quickly now. And the problem is, already people are like, no, this is bullshit, man. We're not going to see Millie Alcock's great performance as Renier again. No, you're not. That's it. Five and done. And she has been an undoubted star of the show so, for, so far for many of us. And again, the casting of Emily Carey and um, Olivia Cook. It's just, I honestly, like I mentioned in the previous pod, I did not realise that wasn't Olivia Cook in the first episode. I mean, she could literally be her sister as a slightly older queen. It's and, very uh, good, yeah. yeah it's, the casting director has done a very good job. But we'll see. We'll see how good it is once we've seen those episodes, of course. But yeah. Yeah, and that'll be interesting because, again, I think it was only up to the time jump that was given to all the journalists who've done all the pre-reviews. So once we get past that point, no one's seen those episodes yet. So it's going to be very interesting. Um, I think, yeah, like you say, Millie Alcock's Princess Raniera, bar a little bit of potential uncle fucking, has been a brilliant, absolute brilliant character. You know, she's more than held her own as an actress with some legends like Paddy Constantine on screen. And her character takes actions when she needs to, like getting the dragon back in episode two. And, you know, when she wanted Sir Christian's helmet in that last episode, oh, she got it. Mm-hmm. And what I like about it is that she, again, if you compare her to season one Danieris, Season one, it's not even comparable. She absolutely smokes her out of the water. Out of the water. She's such a good character. So six more episodes to go. And again, like I said in the last pod, I think all you fantasy pretender shows now can slide off quietly into the night. As much as I love The Witcher, it's not even on the same ballpark as House of the Dragon and Lord of the Rings. Yeah, we've got we've got two of the best fantasy shows. Uh, out Iron there and Bone, brilliant. Get in the bin. What was the other one? Wheel of Time. I mean, shit, man. If you're Wheel of Time, you're like, yeah, we're not getting a third season, are we? Because they're going to want to... I just can't see Wheel of Time going past the third well, season. I, the, the first season was such a massive disappointment. I spoke about it when we did our episode yeah. of the Wheel of Time. And which and that was a massive worry going into the Lord of the Rings because I thought it would have some of the same issues because they used some of the same crew and everything. And some of the same writers and directors were borrowed from each other. And the, it's the, the two shows are just night and day at the moment. The Wheel of Time. Do you reckon really it is. was unintentional? But the the, the 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 team of writers and like the team of creatives who are on Lord of the Rings and Wheel of Time, as much as they obviously want to do the best jobs 
on both shows, they're like, yeah, now we're going to save that for Lord of the Rings. Yeah, we're going to put like... Well, not, I, well, not, not I don't think them. that, but, you know, <laughs> I, I think there's... The, the, maybe it just came to budget, I don't know, but the Wheel of Time really I think it's going to come to budget. But anyway, House of the Dragon at the moment is, um, and Lord of the Rings, without doubt, two of the best TV shows um, on telly at the moment in general, let alone fantasy TV shows, and two of the best fantasy TV shows, um, period. Like... There's, 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 there's ever been at the moment because there's not been a much. Let's face it, and not been much great ones. They are both spectacular shows, and I think we are. They're lucky both to ten have out of ten, nine out of tens at the moment, definitely. But Neil, I have a very important question for you. Okay. Uh, and it's spot. a question that's going to come up within the show, and we're going to ask it first because I know it's oh. going to come up, and it's something that we can put out as a poll, maybe. Okay. Once this obvious question comes into play now neil are you a green or are you a black i don't know what you're talking about exactly but it's going to be big (laughs) people are going to be talking about it man trust me it's going to be it's going to split the fan base in two of house of dragon are you a green or are you a black okay well well i'm I'm guessing that it's going to be i think what the show's going to so from what just from your posed questionnaire I'm assuming that we're going to get something where you've got two sides, but both sides are so good and so well acted and so well drawn and characterised that, it, like you say, it splits the fan base. It's going to be like Jon Snow and Daenerys Targaryen. It's going to split the fan base in two. I don't know. I feel like more people were on Jon Snow's side. No, nah, Daenerys was massive in the fan base. She was until they ruined her in the last season. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Until they ruined her in the last season. But she was massive in the fan base. So what, what do you yeah. think? Are you, a, are you a green or a black? You have to answer, man. Just say just say one and I'll be like, ooh, but okay. I, I don't know the context of the question, so uh, I'm going to go black. Yeah, okay, I'm a, a green. Mat- so okay. let's see what well, happens there. Even even not knowing what the hell you're going on about, we're still on opposite sides here. So yeah, standard, as standard. As <laughs> standard. <laughs> all right, folks, well, that's all the time we got for on this podcast. And remember, if you want to do a promo sort with us, send us your promo. We'll play it on our pod. We send you your promo up. We send you our promo. You play it on yours. And you do the same. For free. Because seriously, fuck people who ask you to pay to play their promos on their podcast. And if you love what you hear... Has that been happening? That's a thing. I didn't realise, man. I was like... Was I, I, when... Oh, man, come on. It's nice to be nice. Especially with our sized and audience base of podcasts and similar sized podcasts around us. It's nice to be nice. Yeah, man. And um, again, a big shout out to the guys over October Pod who played our promo on their show. They're the first people to do it for us. So big thanks out to them. Uh, shout out to the guys at Cast Me to Hell, who I've just guested with recently. Uh, I did an episode with Robbie on 1981 Video Nasty, The Burning, which actually starred uh, Seinfeld's Jason Alexander. And did you see, David? Jason Alexander liked my tweet. Booyah. George motherfucking I Costanza. I did. TV royalty right there. It's funny because I put in my, my tweet saying, I literally put in a tweet saying... We delve into 1981, slasher, horror, the burning. We look at all the dodgy goings on, on screen and also off screen, because this was the first Miramax film. <laughs> so the fact that he liked that, just you know that obviously Jason Alexander at some point witnessed all this shit when he was young and starting out, because that was his debut as well. And also, I've just done an episode of Stu World Order Pod with host, well, Stu, and we talked about The Suicide Squad. So uh, I am everywhere in a minute, David. I am open for guest appearances, Taco Bell sponsorships, uh, free holidays because I am exhausted. So yeah, it's, it's been a busy time for We Need a Road. I think, Taco Bell, I think the Taco Bell um, sponsorship could be the best one out of those. Love Taco Bell. Love it. 
And if you love what you hear, or even are just slightly amused by our ramblings, then feel free to give us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. And our spies tell us you mainly listen to us on Apple Pods and Spotify. But we are all over, just like David Rash. See you next time. Dude, the cream works. The cream works. We needed roads.